Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rock My Life, the show that brings together LGBTQ plus athletes to share their experiences of being gay in sport. My name's Christian John, and this is Rock My Life. Now, in today's episode, I want to talk about the issue of body confidence. As gay men, I think we can all agree that the way we look and feel has at some point been a challenge that we have had to face. Whether it is physical in terms of fitness or style in terms of how we like to dress, either to fit in or to stand out. For me, fitting in has always been an issue from as young as eight when my parents got divorced and both remarried into other families. I always wondered what my role or skill would be. On my mum's side, the family were very musically talented, which allowed me to focus on my love of music and playing different instruments. But then on my dad's side, they were more sports and fitness centered. So it was difficult for me to find a place to truly be myself. I don't blame anybody. And I had a great time learning these new skills on both sides, but I never felt like I fitted perfectly into any group at school. And where I really struggled was the way I looked physically. I was always short for my age. And although this wasn't an issue when I was in primary school, it became more obvious in high school when other boys grew taller and I didn't. At this point, I didn't know that I was gay and so I naturally tried to date girls, but they were never interested. They wanted the taller, more developed lads and this did put a lot of strain on my mental well-being. I I don't recall precise times, but I remember some lads would pick on me in science lessons, thinking it was funny to ask why I wasn't standing up at the end of the lessons The truth was, I was standing up, but to them it looked like I was still sat on the stools. I never showed them that it got to me, but it did. I couldn't do anything about it, and yet I think they knew that. I think in part, anyway, this was also why the lads on the rugby team excluded me, because I didn't look like a stereotypical rugby player. But the years went by, and I still hadn't got the usual growth spurt that everyone else had had and my parents started to notice that my well-being was deteriorating. So they sought out medical advice and I was put on a course of growth hormone injections, something that I haven't told that many people about. Now in my head I was expecting a Captain America transformation, but alas, no six pack and no super strength. Well, not super anyway. I did however grow a few feet and inches and I did begin to develop very broad shoulders and became a bit stronger. But I wasn't expecting the sudden crave to eat more. This mixed with a lack of exercise because I'd given up sport meant I was starting to put on a lot of fat. It wasn't until I went to uni that I made changes. Well, I say I made changes. I contracted granular fever and became seriously ill towards the end of my first year. I lost about three stone in about two months and decided once I recovered to keep this off. So I joined a rowing team at a local gym and was successful in keeping it off the weight for now. But then I faced another challenge. I wanted to be more toned and gain more muscle. It was about this time that I became very confident in my sexuality and started going on gay dating apps. Social media was on the rise and suddenly I was bombarded with images of beautifully toned men at the gym, online, even in the bars I worked at during my later years in uni. 
So fast forward now, being part of the Spartans gave me a boost in confidence. Not only did I feel accepted, but there is such a spectrum of fitness levels that nobody cares what you look like, as long as you're committed to the game. Obviously, it helps being fitter, but having the confidence and social bonds has meant I'm not suffering alone. There are people I can talk to, or to get advice from. We push each other to be the best that we can be, but also love each other for who we are and not what we look like. So on today's show, I'm going to be speaking to Terry from the Lancashire Typhoons, who's experienced similar difficulties with his own body confidence. Hi, so my name is Terry. I'm 37 years old. I currently play for the Typhoons, which are based in Preston, Lancashire. I live in Preston, um, but I'm originally I'm from Manchester. And my current job, I look after a and do the managing for a food hall, an independent family business in um, Wrightington. Fantastic. And so thinking back to when you decided to come out, um, what year was it? And can you talk to us about your experience of coming out to your family, your friends, maybe your work colleagues? Yeah, so I um, came out in 1999 and it was an interesting story because at the time uh, I was 15, uh, 16, and I'd been watching Queer as Folk, which was on Channel 4. And I remember seeing the, the episodes where they down the Manchester Gay Village and I'm like, wow, that looks absolutely amazing. It's not the kind of lifestyle that I could be letting myself in for. And I remember I had two close uh, friends at the time in school who I confided in telling them my sexuality. And we all decided we were going to go to Canal Street on a night out once we got our GCSE results. And I remember telling my mum about this. And my sister at the time was saying, um, oh, it's because you're gay, it's because you're gay. And I turned around and said, well, what is if I was gay? And my mum turned around and said very calmly, it wouldn't matter because we'd love you no matter what. And then I was kind of like blown away because I had all this huge weight on my shoulders about how am I going to tell him, what's best for the situation? And she went running upstairs to go and do what she was doing. And then my mum said, so are you gay? And I said, I am. She went, that's absolutely no problem, Terry. We, we love you no matter what. And I kind of like had a bit of a, a bit of a cry. But I was more worried about my dad finding out. because My dad was very much old, a bit more old-fashioned, ex-military. And I went out and did what I was doing that day. And then my dad texted me later on that day. And he was saying, your mum's just told me your news. Please don't worry. Let's go for a pint and have a chat. And I was just, like, just blown away by uh, that, that expression. So it was a very easy coming out, frankly, in that respect. I know people have it a lot harder than how I had it. But the other thing I was more worried about was then telling the grandparents, because my dad's grandparents were very old-fashioned, uh, Mancunian through and through. My mum's uh, family were more, a lot more liberal. And when my mum told me Nana, she was like, well, somebody in our family had to be the size of our family. And... Um, it was fine. And when my mum told my grandparents, she said to them, we've got something to tell you. Terry's gay. If you have a problem with that, you have a problem with us. And they said, no, we, we don't have a problem with that. So thankfully, my family was very accepting. Um, I just wish I could have said that for some of my friends at the time. But you live and learn. And it's interesting that you say that you were worried about coming out to your dad. And I think that's a very generalized statement a lot of the people that I've spoken to they the first people that they come out to is either like a sibling and then their mom and then 
the dad is always the last one of the immediate family. And it was the same for me, but I think it was more because um, my parents didn't live together and so I didn't see my dad as much. So it was kind of more difficult for me to kind of outreach to him um, and have that sort of face-to-face -face conversation because I didn't want to do it over phone. I didn't want to be the kind of hiding behind the text message. I wanted to kind of see his reaction. Yeah, of course, and, of course. Um, not allow him time to think about it and come up with a, a good answer. Um, but he was exactly the same. And to be fair, when I came out to my mom, um, like I said in previous episodes, she'd already worked it out. And so I was kind of having a, a moment, like a, I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but something upset me. And so I was a bit in a state and she said, she wants to ask me a question, are you gay? And I was just like, like you, thrown back by it. Um, I'd had this speech already planned that I'd typed up that I was going to <laughs> say to her. Um, and it did, it kind of caught me off guard. And so I just kind of said, fuck it, yeah. Um, and she was like, yeah, that's fine. I kind of guessed anyway, and I have absolutely no problem with it. And then a couple of years down the line, when I did kind of build up the courage to kind of um, track down my dad and, and tell him, again, he was like, yeah, we we know, we, we worked it out. And I was like, well, how? Like, <laughs> I know like friends will always joke and say like, girl, has anybody met you? Of course they know you're gay. But <laughs> it's, it's different when it's your family because I felt like I was living a double life at home. When I went to university, that's when I came out because I wanted to reinvent myself. Nobody knew who I was. And when I went back to visit my family, I kind of had to put this like alter ego face on and be a lot more, um, I guess, more masculine um, and try and be how I was before I went to university. And it never occurred to me that they already knew and that I was just, I must have looked like an idiot trying to hide the fact of what I was. <laughs> it, it was just like at different times, I guess. And I'm glad that I did, but I know that some people are terrified about contacting their dad. It's like the dad is the ultimate figure in the family and they don't want to let them down or something. Is that how you felt? Yeah, no, my dad was, yeah, my dad was very much, uh, he, he worked his socks off for when we were younger. Like, you know, we, we, they provided what they could for me and my sister and we never went without. They, they worked so hard. And I think at the time I was very much worried that I didn't want to let my dad down. He, you know, the head of the family, but it was, it was such a, a relief. And the funny thing when you say about your mum, my mum said she always knew, and I think, well, I kind of think about now, well, having probably spy skills posters plastered everywhere <laughs> around the bedroom, uh, probably might have given it away in, uh, at the time and it being in the music that I was into. And then when you talked about university, when I went to college, I very much, I decided to make the decision to just be living my authentic self and be who I was. I was then started to colour my hair different colours, uh, stuff like that at college is very much, I wasn't in the closet then when I went to college, it was like, this is the new me, I'm at college meeting all these new people. And it was great because then I got to get quite friendly with a couple of the other uh, people that were at the college and especially this girl called Amanda. And we started then regularly going out onto the Manchester gay scene every weekend without fail. Because at the time where I used to work, I used to get um, my wages every week and then we used to then go out every Saturday. So we'd go to certain bars and see the same faces and we start to build up a, a click of friends that we'd see week in, week out, start building a little community of our own. Um, and it was just an amazing uh, time to start doing that, but it was great to kind of go to college and be out and proud, but not, I wouldn't say so much in people's faces with it, but it was very much that they were quite accepting at the college that I was at. And the tutors as well knew 
I think as soon as I walked in the door, you could probably tell um, they, they were very supportive and, and acknowledging. Just wish it would have been the same in high school, but I think it would have been the 90s and Section 21 in place. Teachers were very much, they weren't, you know, they weren't able to kind of maybe, I don't know, acknowledge it or be that support mechanism that maybe a lot of young LGBT people probably needed. And was there any issue, because you obviously you would have had some friends at high school, and then when you went to college, were you still in contact with those high school friends? I was still in contact with a few of the, the girls, uh, the closer girls that I told, and then a couple of lads uh, since found out, um, but they were absolutely fine. A couple of friends that lived nearer to me, they kind of started to become a bit more distant. They found out, you know, people gossiped, oh, there's Terry Baker, he's gay. Uh, some of the girls around there we used to live started getting quite catty if I saw them on the streets. So I would, you know, they'd shout derogatory things from across the road. Um, but nothing, it was just people started to distance. But then high school, I kind of drew a line at high school. High school was high school. You're a new person at college. You have another new, have fantastic new experiences. So, like, kind of let loose the strings that kind of pulled you back in high school and be more of yourself in college. And yeah, I just kind of fell, in, fell out of contact with a lot of people from school. There's some people that are on my Facebook nowadays, but I don't speak to any of them. They're all living, you know, everyone's living their lives and seems to see where people are at with what they are. But high school is such a long time ago now, what, 2020? That was like 1999. So it's a lot, a lot, of, a lot has changed since then. <laughs> so. And what, um, when you were at high school, did you notice any homophobia? Was there any bullying because of your sexuality? So for me, I did have a, a few issues with a couple of people. There was um, a lad whose name I'm not going to say who I had done some stuff with in school, experimentation, as you will. And he kind of then used to threaten that with me to tell people, bully me. And at the time, I was absolutely terrified because I didn't want people to know. I didn't want teachers to find out. And luckily, nothing ever come of that. And at the time, it was he would bring it up every now and then, and I'd be terrified that something's going to happen, but it didn't come to fruition. Um, but the other thing, especially in terms of a, a sport, for example, being a, a larger guy in high school and being camp, um, you know, I wasn't masculine in high school, um, but playing things like uh, football, for example, when they used to pick the teams, oh, thinking about it now, you don't, I'd always be one of the last ones to be picked. And why they used to let teachers do that, or sorry, the students do that, for people being picked last, what a great way of building up your confidence for always being picked last for the team and thinking you're never good enough to play with these group of boys or these group of boys. Um, so that, that was that was heartbreaking at the time. You always, you'd always not be confidence and never feel you were good enough to do any sport. And it got that bad where I ended up not taking my PE kit into school. I'd get my mum to write me letters just to make up excuses like, oh, Terry's forgotten his kit because I've not washed it or, or just something, little stupid things like that. So I'd end up just sitting out with some other lads who... Um, went into physical sport either and it kind of just made me feel like I wasn't good enough to do it. And was that before, during or after? That was before I came out. I came out more towards the end of high school when we started finishing our exams, our GCSEs. Um, like I say, with the, the two girls that I knew talking about, you know, going out on Canal Street um, with the whole crew as folk fact that had been on, that I'd been on Channel 4 at the time. Um, I, didn't, I didn't say to people in school, I'm gay, this is me. It was very much a couple of people that I told who were sworn to secret. It wasn't, it was more after I'd left high school when things started to gossip quite quickly because then people start seeing me out and about, um, wearing what I was wearing, colouring my hair, for example, and people started to talk and other people then talked and then people started to find out, I think, that way. And then, yeah, certain comments were said if I was out and about on the street or going to 
going to college, getting the bus, walking over to go and get the bus. I saw people on the bus that you go to high school with. And some people that you went to my high school went to the same college, although they were on the same course. And you could, they would, they would, you would see them looking and, and seeing, oh, you, you know, you're not the same Terry that you were in high school. Some people are very much great, you know, good for you, well done. You know, you, you seem a lot happier yourself. And other people will be like, they wouldn't, wouldn't associate coming over and talking or even acknowledging the fact that I was, you know, in their presence. I know you mentioned that um, when you were in playing football and things that you you really lost your confidence because you were picked last, and that destroyed your sort of perception of of enjoying sport. Before that, what was your perception of sport? Did you enjoy it? Was it something you wanted to get involved in? Or was it just the PE lessons at school that you took part in? So it's, it's a funny, because when I very first started high school, we used to do um, gymnastics and we did uh, a dance routine for Cotton Eye Joe. And at the time, I loved it. We did a silly little routine. Everyone enjoyed it, um, which was great. And as I got older, uh, and puberty starts kicking, and I start to have all these, you know, these feelings and exploring what, what I was, what I'm, what am I feeling, what am I wanting as a person, and then edu- the PE side of things, different things we started to do different. Things. So we started to do, for example, like rounders. I really liked playing rounders because I'm left-handed. When I used to come up to bat and hit it, nobody would ever be on the right side of the pitch, so the ball would go flying. Everyone would have to then go run after it, and I would get round and always score. So I quite enjoyed that. I was quite good at it. And then when we played rugby, uh, the size of lad that I was, when I used to then be able to do the tackling of other lads, I used to be able to take people down quite quite easily. I used to take a lot of my built-up aggression out on some of the lads that maybe have called me names or said certain things, like, you know, you weren't good enough at football, but now I'm being recognised as being better at rugby because I can take the tackles, I can grab them, I can take them down. People would struggle to try and take me off my feet, example. So using my size was then a benefit playing that and I did quite enjoy that but I didn't really explore it further because when we got to like year 10 and 11 with the fo- they did they did rugby far less they did more football inside they did football sometimes on the fields and I don't know why they did that but they, I, but then like I say with the whole picking a team being picked last I kind of thought you're just not good enough to be doing the sport the school wasn't a rugby-led school it was very much more a football-led school the, the, the football team within a local uh, high school league used to do quite well so the attention was always on that never on never in rugby and I can really relate to that as being in high school it was I I loved sport at that time and liked doing the fitness side of things and, and like you I, I liked um, the things where you might have been in a team but it wasn't so much um, relying on each individual person like rounders um, I enjoyed that because it was fun and... It was more light-hearted um, rounders. It was just, you know, you came with the bat, you hit it really yeah. well, you went flying, everyone would be cheering, clapping because you did so well. And you were good at it. You didn't have to be trying to kick a ball and, you know, <laughs> do that. And I liked um, tennis and I liked badminton and that was really good. But they, they always seemed to be quite short in terms of how often you did it around the year. It used to be very... I think that they used to try and push it all to the summer, like the shortest term, and then the rest of it, did used to be like football, yeah, indoor rugby, football, indoor football, yeah, for God's sake, mm. football again, really. But... And then, um, yeah, and then when it got to GCSE level, you, you then had to choose like certain uh groups of PE lessons, and it really frustrated me because I wanted to do some of the racket sports, but I also wanted to do rugby, but I didn't want to do football, I, I couldn't get into football, and probably the same as you, I was never good at it. And the players who were good at it recognised that pretty quickly. 
and just discarded me from any team. And I was like you, always the last to be picked and whatever. Um, but the school made it really difficult for me to enjoy sport because if I wanted to do rugby, I had to do football as well. Or I could do like badminton or tennis, but then I had to do things like dance and gymnastics <laughs> and I wasn't that good at them. And it was really obvious that if you chose tennis, badminton, gymnastics and dance, no boys did it because I think they didn't want, even if they did have these sort of gay tendencies, they didn't want to make it obvious by choosing that group. So everybody had to go into the football and rugby, regardless of whether they enjoyed it or not. So I think it was really unfair. Yeah, especially at our school, it's very much a league. Uh, we're situated very much not too, not too far down the road from Manchester United. It's very much football, football, football in that area. It wasn't really a, a rugby a rugby area. Um, but yeah, I think when you say about the people that were good at football were always the more popular lads. They were the ones that were kind of like hanged around a certain cliques. Yeah. And if you weren't in that kind of clique, you were discarded on the edge and you kind of... Yeah, it just was how it was how it was in them days. I suppose in the in the nineties, it was wasn't a nice experience. But it's things like that kind of scar you for life as an adult. You still think back to them times, and you, and you kind of yeah, it does kind of it does mark you for life. What did you do? So upon leaving high school, I went to um, South Trafford College and I did uh, catering, hospitality management. So I, in years one and two, I did like food preparation, cooking, uh, did customer service, I did food service, wine and spirits, and then got onto my level three um which then was like the management side of things and then upon that at the time i was working uh, at selfridges at a traffic center i left there finished college i went to work at harvey nichols in manchester stayed there for a little while because uh, i wanted to get because at the time when i wanted to go into catering and hospitality harvey nichols had a very good reputation for their restaurants etc so i wanted to go and experience that and get that on my cv so i thought right, i had selfridges on there Harvey nichols next and then i left harvey nichols went to another restaurant uh, on king street in manchester which is no longer there what didn't stick there very long, doing like 70 hour split shifts. And I was like, this is not the kind of thing I wanted. The commute from living in Ernst to Manchester was getting a bit of a, a bit of a pain. And then uh, John Lewis opened up at the Trapper Centre. So I managed to get a job there nearer to home. I could walk from where I used to live to the Trapper Centre, which was great. And then I stayed there for 12 years. Uh, had a fantastic time. Did uh, Went through management development training there and did all different things whilst working at John Lewis. Went to work at different stores to help, help open that. And that's where I really uh, become to blossom as a person because I got to go and do... That was a time when I went to go and help open the store in Exeter down south. And I went down... Uh, at the time, I'd lost quite a bit of weight. I was had a new bit, bit of confidence about me. I thought, I'm going to go down there. Really push myself out of my comfort zone about, right, I'm going to go down there, meet all these new people, and just see how I can be as this new confident person. And it was such a fantastic experience. And really made me think what I could do outside of my comfort zone because I was going to go down there for three months not know anybody live in a hotel and really put that to the test and it was fantastic and I got to meet so many people really pushed myself out there put a lot of experience back into the job back at uh, the traffic center store and went back there and then a few more years I decided to to leave and explore uh, different pastures which um yeah which didn't work out unfortunately which led to quite a dark dark period uh, of my life but yeah, I left, I left John Lewis and um, at the time, upon working at John Lewis, I lived in the city centre of Manchester, uh, which was interesting. I did the whole living in an apartment for a year, thought it would be amazing. It wasn't, it was very expensive. Um, moved back home for a little while, then I moved down to uh, Altrincham, so not too far from the college. I lived with a friend there for a few years in, in the house there, had a, it was a lovely uh, part of uh, Altrincham where I used to live. And then I ended up moving from there 
up to uh, with a friend in Chorley and at the time I thought oh Chorley's not that far from where I used to live I was wrong <laughs> the commute to and from there to work was just getting horrendous with the M61 then we, he and my friend bought a house moved in with him in Coppel and then the commute was worse so I ended up leaving my job at the traffic centre to get a job nearer to home um, which didn't which didn't work out unfortunately with what I wanted to do so yeah, that kind of gives you a bit of a, a bit of a nutshell of what happened in terms of upon leaving leaving high school and college. And during that time, I know you mentioned that you lost a bit of weight before you went down south. Was that um, just through sort of um, focusing on your your diet, or did you start to pick up any exercise or sport? So, being you... honest, I I have struggled a lot with my weight all throughout my life, and um, some people will I think will uh, be able to. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Understand maybe, or uh, I, yeah, get to understand a bit of this. So, when I when I was in high school, I was quite a chunky lad. Left high school, and then I did. Um, I went through a weight management program through the doctors. I lost about six stone quite quickly, and then I was like, "Oh my god, wow. this is amazing!" You know, getting loads of attention from other guys when I was going out on nights out, etc. And I found a new confidence, but eventually. Old habits kicked in. I was eating for comfort when I was going through some bits and pieces. I then started putting weight on. Then I put more weight on. I ended up, and I mean, I ballooned. I put on so much weight um, to the point where it was it was getting stupidly dangerous. And I remember one weekend having a night out, and I got very, very, very drunk, and I fell and hit my head, and it shook me up really badly. I was thinking, "What are you doing to yourself?" I was kind of like in, in, a, in a in a bad place. I was very stressed with work. I then started to eat more because of the stress. I was drinking more to deal with the stress. It was a very vicious circle that I kind of spiraled down, put more weight on. And I ended up having a panic attack one evening because I thought it was a heart attack. And I had, I ended up ringing NHS and then explaining my symptoms down the phone. And a woman was saying, the computer saying I need to get an ambulance. And I started having like a panic attack, like an anxiety attack. And I thought Gemma was having a heart attack. And I ended up going to hospital been strapped to a machine, these ECG machines, having my heart rate done, etc. And my mum came with me and I remember seeing the hurt in her eyes from seeing her son being strapped to these machines and the doctor kind of explained, you've got yourself all worked up, it was an anxiety attack, um, you've not given yourself alcohol poisoning, I thought I'd give myself alcohol poisoning because I'm having a very heavy weekend and he said, you need to you know, have a rest, have a think what you're doing and then I sought medical attention, spoke to a very wonderful doctor called Dr. Jordan, who referred me to have some surgery done and um, having like a, a weight management process. Now I thought, oh, this isn't going to happen. The funding, it costs a lot of money on NHS to have any kind of weight loss uh, reduction surgery. So I, had to, I waited for a while. I had to try and go back to a weight management clinic. It didn't work. I had to try and I got put on um, tablets. I think they were called reductal, I think, at the time. that kind of were suppressant blockers that kind of made you, make you think that you weren't hungry. We need eating to try them tried joining Slimming World, Weight Watchers, they just weren't working. And then eventually the money came around, the letter came saying, you have been, the money's there to have, you know, have an operation. You need to think about which hospital you want to go and have it done. At that time, you could go to the the Manchester Royal Infirmary or I could have it done at uh, the Booper Hospital, uh, Spire, which isn't there anymore. They've moved sites to Didbury, I believe. So I opted to have uh, a gastric bypass, uh, sorry, not gastric bypass, a gastric sleeve operation. Now, in terms of weight loss at the time, you could the NHS weren't funding gastric bands because you could still cheat on having a gastric band. Like it might 
restricting what you're putting in food. Well, you can still sit there and drink chocolate milkshake or eat ice cream and anything that's liquid is still high calorie. You're not going to lose the weight. So I opted for a gastric sleeve operation, which basically you have your stomach and they remove three quarters of it to make a small banana shaped stomach. So it meant that you could still eat normally. You, you physically wouldn't be able to eat the volumes of food I used to eat because at the time, in Barry, I could eat a lot, and I mean a lot, to try and get that satisfaction of being full. So I had this operation. It was it was a serious operation. It wasn't a case of waving magic wand. It was, you know, keyhole surgery. I had three squats in the stomach removed. I went on this operation. It was absolutely fantastic. It was fine. It re-educated the, my relationship with food to what I was eating, what I couldn't eat anymore. Uh, and ever since then, this, this is quite a while ago now I had this operation, my... It, the weight came off very quickly. My eating habits changed, but I couldn't eat the volume of food I used to eat. I didn't went off eating curries. I went off eating Chinese. My taste buds changed. I couldn't eat heavy sugary foods anymore. Um, but then I started to go to the gym. So with the exercise, I then had the, so I'd lost a lot of body weight. Um, my body fat had dropped down as well. I started attending a local gym. I started to get in, really start enjoying exercise. And the first time I'm actually thinking. God, I actually enjoy the exercise. I mean, I was enjoying the, the the endorphins, I think, after doing the workout. I felt good about myself. I felt a new positivity. Equal with the weight loss, the exercise, it started to work. It started to work really well. Um, but unfortunately, um, old habits die hard. As I say, I started to, to slip back into old habits. I was drinking too much, going out all the time. Because drink, having a separation doesn't stop you from drinking alcohol, and alcohol has a lot of calories in it. So you start drinking, going out, partying, and then the calories start to, you know, the weight starts to creep back on. It crept on, it crept on. And I was kind of thinking, you, you're slipping back, you've put all this hard work, you've been for an operation, you're slipping backwards. And I kind of had to re-grasp and take a hold of it, and luckily I did. Um, I was recognising what the old habits were, um, went through a bit of a CB key cycles of cognitive behavioral therapy I know that's such a mouthful to say and I ended up going through that process and um getting to grips with what I was doing and understanding that and then unfortunately when I got to um so my nana who uh, was a very big a very big rugby fan uh, she passed away unfortunately she had a horrendous battle with cancer which was horrific on the family uh, with my mom with with myself and it was a very hard time this crippled with when I left, uh, John Lewis went to this new job that wasn't working out. So it ended up being a lot of things impacting quite quickly in terms of my work life went turned upside down. The new job I was going to didn't didn't work out what I thought it was going to work out. I, I was telling my nana about this when she was going for a chemotherapy. And she was like, you know, Terry, life's too short. You're not happy. You know, get another job. It doesn't matter. You've only been there six months. You know, who cares? Get another job. You know, grab it. You know, and I did that. I left, and thankfully, I got a new job. She unfortunately passed away, which was horrendous. And it, I ended up going on a bit of a spiral because I ended up... So the new job, again, wasn't working out. It was very stressful. Uh, I was then getting bullied at the new workplace. I was then got back into, into the habit of drinking too much. I was... Um, it was it just wasn't a nice experience. I ended up going down a bit of a dark, dark path. Was it, I kind of say it was the worst year of my life. Kind of, my nana passed away, which was horrendous. My work wasn't working out. I was at an all-time low in my body confidence and body positivity. I started to isolate myself from people. I was lashing out at my friends who were trying to help me out when I was drinking. And it just got to a point where, I, what did I end up doing? I think I ended up having a massive argument with somebody and realizing, what, what are you doing to yourself? You, so I had to sit down and have a, a very in-depth talk with somebody, a few, quite a few tears, 
and had a bit of a breakdown in terms of what was going on because it was like having handling a bereavement, trying to be there for my mum who's lost her mum, but being there, you know, work was shy. Luckily, I'm, I got a new job, turned it around. So work was now great again. So that was a big tick. I felt settled. So for me, I could feel settled. So I was settled. Then I thought, right, get back on top of your diet. And so I started to do that, got on top of that, started to lose weight again. And then I got a bit more positive in myself. I then think, right, started to put myself back out there in terms of the dating game. And this is how come about with getting back into exercise and uh, ultimately joining rugby because I went on a date with one of the players who uh, who I didn't know played for this team at the time. Uh, nothing came of the date, but we went for a drink and it was great. And then they told me how he played rugby. And I was like, oh, rugby. I remember playing rugby in high school. I enjoyed it. And I thought, you need to get back out and then do a bit more of a physical activity. Because at the time I was in a rut, I'd come home from work, sit there, do nothing, watch Netflix, have a drink at home. And I was like, you know, you need to get out there, meet new people, start doing different things to push your, push your comfort zone a bit more. It's interesting you said that like there was a, a moment when you were sitting down and, and you suddenly realised, no, you need to get your act together. And quite a lot of people have sort of said that, that there comes a time when they reevaluate their lives and their position and think, no, enough's enough. I need to do something. And it was really, it, it meant a lot for you to open up about your weight issues, because I do think that there are people out there that, that do have that um constant battle with themselves and do you think because personally i think although there are lots of people in the world that um have issues with their weight but i do think not in a i suppose it might be negative but do you think that being gay makes it worse thinking about your body size than people that aren't gay might struggle with i my own personal opinion i think um with with the kind of the, the, the lifestyle a lot, a lot of you know a lot of gay men have we don't look a certain way um it does it's you, you can struggle with certain things you don't look a certain way maybe you're not as slim or as athletic with people you maybe don't get attention when you go out or you know struggle to meet new people and i think it does also then play on your confidence you kind of think you know you're not like the other guys you know you're not slim you're not athletic you're not um and it does knock your body, you know, your confidence, your body positivity. Like, I wasn't... Because people sort of tell you, you know, you're so funny, you're so, out, you're so outgoing, so this. And I'm like, but secretly inside, I'd be like, it's a defence mechanism. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't feeling positive in myself. I wouldn't be confident going to speak to, let's say, guys on a night out. I'd very much... I'd be funny. People are so funny, but I wouldn't then say, you know, do you want to go out for a drink sometime? Or do you want, you know, want to go out for a meal sometime? But I do think that link to being gay with uh, body issues, I think it's... For me, I feel like it, there is there is more people that suffer with that in the LGBT community than in the straight community. And when you were going through this, what support network did you have, if any? So thankfully, I um, had a very good friend who I'm still friends with now, who we used to live with, and we had a you know we had a sit down, and he, when I was having you know lashing out in terms of the the drinking and stuff like that, kind of, we, you know, a few choice words are said and, you know, very, very few home truths. And I tried to look at a mirror and think, what are you doing? You've got all these people around you that are being supportive. You know, I'd get regular uh, friends that I still speak to now that I don't live anywhere near them in Manchester who were there for me when, you know, after my nana passed away and um, they came to the funeral, they were there and they're close-knit close circle of friends. They'd be like, you know, 
I'd been through all this trauma and now all this all this shit, and they were there and they were still there after I'd left. And I think, well, these are the kind of people that you know, people say you, you don't deserve me at my best, and you've not seen me at my worst, kind of thing. These people had seen me at my worst. You know, I've been there, you know, being, crying on the floor, being a you know being a mess, and these people were there to lift me up and say it'll you know it'll be okay, and they were supportive and. When I turned around and said to them about doing this rugby, they were like, yeah, fantastic, get yourself out there, go out and meet new people. This will be great for you, you know, you'll be able to do, you know, push your, push your boundaries and start doing something new. And um, if I hadn't had that support mechanism, I'd, I'd dread to think where I might have ended up. But luckily having, being able to talk to people um, was, was invaluable at the time. It's definitely you need to tell people what you're going through and not beat yourself up because too many too often nowadays too many people bottle things up and don't talk about it and then doing stupid things further down the line but it's important that you do speak to your friends and have these open conversations and that's a really important message i do think people need to be a lot more open about it and it's i think social media has kind of had a two-sided face to this because on one side it doesn't help by, you know, being on Facebook, Instagram, where you're constantly bombarded by, you know, fitness regimes and yeah, people who are like Adonis in human form. And, and and then there are some elements where you can share your story and be like, oh, you know, this is what I used to look like. This is what I look like now. But there's only a small amount and it's hard to see where people are sharing their stories. And it's almost like people can like hide away from that. They can ignore it or they can just like scroll past it. But for those people, it is quite empowering to share their story on social media because it's almost like telling the world about what you've been through. Was this something that you thought about or was social media not really as kind of impactful as it is interesting now. you touch on 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 social media because when i um had the weight loss uh, surgery and i went through all that the hospital asked if me and another lady um would be part of an advertising campaign to show the benefits of what they offer in terms of the weight loss and ha- what my story was what my friend pauline's story was and we had uh, some fantastic pictures done i was featured on uh, the Gay UK's website. I was featured on, um, I think it was The Sun at the time. Um, what other thing was I featured on? Um, I was featured on something else as well. It was kind of showing my story. And it was, it was a, I think it was when I was turning 30. It showed me a picture of my heaviest and it showed me a picture of my 30th birthday. And I think the headline was like 30 and fabulous or something like that. And it talked about my weight loss journey and what I'd been through. And um, basically, I wanted to share my story and tell people that if you are in this mindset this is what help is out there you need to uh, open yourself up to the help and not be afraid of being a failure or thinking you're a failure because you're not you know life has a way of throwing different things at us for our, our time people deal with things in different ways mine was food and alcohol which wasn't great people have you know addiction to drugs or addiction to cigarettes or whatever but i was social media for me in that aspect was fantastic and i what to use at all and get that out there to help. Um, my friend Pauline, she was featured on a Channel 4 show about something that she had done. And she, again, she she laid herself bare on it. And it was, you know, she's such an inspiration to me. And she um, said, even if it helps one or two people, I want to do that. And I said, well, even if I put my stuff all over social media and show you this is what I've been through, this is what I've done, I want to just show, look, this is where I got to. This is now where I'm at now. This is what I've been through to get to that. And I think that that's helped. And if you use social media in that aspect that's great and uh, raising 
you know, raising awareness of body positivity, what you can do, what's out there. But like I say, when people are bombarded by Instagram, face looking like a certain way, and that can have an impact on your mental health. But equally, if he's trying to maybe look at more positive things, what people have struggles have been through, and what, what you know, what, and it kind of then gives people inspiration to think, well, I can do that. Let's do something different. And how can I then apply that to my life? What would be the benefits of that? And for me, the benefits of that was was amazing and helped get get me through a very dark time in my life because it, it was it was not a nice period of time. And look, I've come out of that the other end and a totally different person. And where I'm at now is is owed to that the help that I had that that met people at the time. It's really important for people to hear as well that some people might be afraid or shy or worried that they'll be criticised if they share their stories on Facebook. Yeah, I think... but I guess for a lot of people, it's also that it does give you a bit of a boost, especially if, even if one person comments saying that they're proud of you, it it makes a whole massive difference to your well-being, to your mindfulness, um, to understand that somebody has taken the time to read your comment, to look at your post, um, and ignore the fact that some people might have not, and it doesn't matter. But as long as you've kind of felt the need to share your story, put it out there, it does take a lot of off your shoulders because you've announced it to the world and like you said if it helps one person then you've done your job like that's how I feel about these podcasts you know people might listen to it and think oh it's a pile of crap but as long as there's one person out there that's actually made a difference for them then my job's done if it helps two people that's That's why I want to spend the time this afternoon and and share that well I want to share my experiences what's been going on growing up and what I've been through and equally with social media I posted a picture I think the other year of like a before and after uh, with my rugby top on at Manchester Pride last year and and saying like, you know, that the caption about, you know, you have your bad times, you have your good times, etc. But the ultimate thing is, no matter what, how many steps you take forward, you're still moving forward in the right direction. Look at what you can achieve, look how far you've come. And ultimately, you know, if I say, well, if I can do it, and I think if I can do it, all the stuff I've been through, then you, you can do, you know, there is a way you can do this. It just takes one step in the right direction to start that journey. So, Back to you in terms of the rugby element now. So thinking about what, because I know you mentioned that you went on a date with someone who was already in the team and your date didn't kind of go any further, but you decided that rugby might be something you'd want to go into. So talk to us a little bit about how you got introduced to the rugby team and your experience of being with them. So, yeah, so after... um... They, he said about he had played for he plays for this local rugby team and I was thinking oh I didn't realise there was a, a an inclusive team in the area and I, like I say I was living in uh, Coppel at the time so I did some went on uh, Facebook uh, stalked them on Facebook uh, commented a couple on, underneath their pictures I think they'd been to Blackpool Pride at the time and I was like oh what a fantastic picture and they replied saying this could be you you know you know in, in this kind of picture I thought do I see myself being part of a, a rugby team and I was there, but then you sit there and think right what was the experience like in high school? Will it be an experience like this again, being an adult? Well, this is a, a gay and inclusive team. Well, surely it can't be like this. So I did some research, and at the time, they were holding some turn-up-and-try sessions uh, at Ashton Park in Preston. So I got the courage, and I said to um, the lad at the time, I said, do you mind if I come to one of these turn-up-and-try sessions, um, and would you like a lift on the way there? Because he didn't have a car. He said, yeah, no, absolutely. So I got, I, luckily, I turned up with, um, with Richard, and... I was welcomed by the committee, uh, Chris and uh, Lawrence, and I was quite lucky that I turned up with somebody else. Now, if I was trying to turn up maybe by myself, I get it, it's very nerve-wracking, and I 
uh, which I've touched on a bit, the, the lad's house that I live in now, he turned up for a session by himself and he was saying how nerve-wracking it was, but I turned up, it was case of these I was introduced to everybody that was there and it was nervous because I'm thinking, right, I've not done any physical sport activity for a long time. Yes, I've done stuff in a gym, but I've not been part of a team or a sport. But the overwhelming thing was everybody, was, the main thing was it didn't matter your size, your sexuality, whether you were fit, athletic, whatever, you were there to have a good time, bring, your, bring, bring along the right attitude and take part in a physical activity and get some enjoyment out of it. So the first session, oh, it was so nerve-wracking because we had to then do some quite close contact activities with some of the people. So I was having to lie on top of somebody and stop them getting up off the floor. And I, I didn't know this person. So I was thinking, right, so personal space boundaries going out, going out the window straight away. Um, but that was, so that at the end of the first session, I was thinking, God, this is amazing that all these people that I've never met are all here for the same reason, we all have the same agenda. And I loved it. So I came back again the week after, again to Ash, Ashley, Ashley Park, Ashton Park, sorry. And then did that again. Uh, and it was great. And I got to start doing some more tackling exercises and I was getting some really good um, feedback off the coaches. And I'm thinking, wow, I could be good at a sport. So I carried on, carried on. And then we started training. And um, so the, the host ground that the typhoons use is Preston Grasshoppers. Um, which is based in Preston, Lancashire. So we go over to there. I thought, oh, wow, God, there's all this amazing stuff that's here to do some proper training. So I'm thinking, this isn't just a group of guys turning around a park, having a kick around with a ball, do rugby. This is a proper setup. It's a proper place. So I'd go in there, and then when I did my first training exercise on the uh, AstroTurf grass that they have, I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then become, then it started to take wings, and I became a full member. And then we started doing more and more training exercises, it was great. And then my friend started saying, Terry, you seem to be, you know, you, you're radiating a different energy. I'm not comfortable. What are you doing differently? I said, well, I now, I now go and play rugby for the typhoons. I go, I've met all these fantastic new people. My social circle is expanding. I get to meet fantastic new people. Um, so for me, it was like, where you were stuck in a rut, look at what I'm now achieving. Just by taking that small step to go and meet up and turn up and try this session out, I've never looked back. I'm now playing... You know, we do regular sessions. I went and played. Um, we did all the training. We did a kit launch. And I remember when I first put the kit on for the very first time, I felt super proud and emotional that I was part of a team. We took our individual photos. We had a team photo. And I remember when I put it up on social media, oh, the comments blew up, the likes blew up. And it was like, wow, look look how fantastic you look. look oh, my God, you're playing rugby. Oh, God, I never think somebody like you would play rugby. I'm like, yeah, I, if I can play rugby, <laughs> being me, you, you guys, you know, you can do rugby kind of thing. And people are like, oh, my God, I think it's amazing that you're playing rugby. Like my family, um, like my, my nana, my, my granddad, he was like, God, your nana would have been so proud. And I was like, oh, you know, playing rugby. My grandparents thought it was amazing. Um, and I remember when I got to join, which was fantastic, and the guys were very welcoming and meeting some different people because it is an inclusive team. You know, there's straight lads, there's gay lads, there's some trans lads on the team. And I hadn't met um, some trans people before because uh, of my search that circles growing up. So I got to understand more about the trans element of the rugby, how what they experienced, and it was amazing. And then the very first match we played, we played um, against the Liverpool Tritons, which is another inclusive team based in Liverpool. And my mum and her friend Sarah came to watch. Now, my mum has never, ever seen me play any type of match sport all my life. So I'm thinking, God, here I am now in my 30s. My mum and her friend maybe have to come all the way over from Manchester, come watch me play in a rugby team against another rugby team. And I was so nervous when we went onto the pitch for the very first time, thinking, oh, my God, we're playing against another team. You know, this is what you've been training for. This is the first match. And 
I was a sub on the bench when, and then the match started and I came on in the middle of a scrum and I was terrified. I remember somebody shouting, right, Terry, come on, come on the pitch. And I was so nervous. I forgot to put my mouth guard in when I went onto the pitch and I got straight into a scrum. So I play um, tight head prop, which is number three. And I did the scrum and all the nerves, the excitement just all came to fruition. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually playing rugby. I'm running around on the field. I'm taking tackles. I'm running with the ball. I'm being tackled. I'm doing scrums. And at the end of the match, my mum was like, oh my God, you know, you did so well. It was amazing seeing you guys play. And I won one of the match for the first time. I've never won anything with sport in my entire life. The fact that I've done the first rugby match, I've won an award and I was gobsmacked, so overwhelmed. And when I told mum, she was telling my dad and my dad was, Today, my dad, you know, shouting about, oh, well done, amazing. I'm thinking, I've never been able to achieve something like that. It's just a physical sport. And from there, it just bloomed. We played more matches. I was regularly attending training. We played, we did, you know, we did really well. We travelled to all the different teams, home, away. My family then comes to regularly watch. And another fantastic highlight, we came to play the Manchester Spartans in, at Sale, which is not too far from where my dad lives. And my dad came along to watch. Now, again, thinking about my sister, like my, my dad, my sister, my mum came, my housemate and his fiance came to watch, who I used to, who I lived with at the time. And it was amazing thinking, when I came to walk onto the pitch, the cheers that I got, people looking at, who's this person getting cheered walking on the pitch? And it was just so heartwarming, my dad, to see me play a match, a sport. And at the end, he was like, you know, I'm really proud of your son. And when you hear them words, you just think, oh my God, this was, it was all worth you know, the, the tackles, the bruises, the cuts, whatever, for your family to see you play a physical sport. And my sister and mum, they're massive supporters of the club. They come and watch all the time. They always shout on the sidelines, you know, come on, Thai Foods, and we're playing. And they love it, and my sister loves it. And um, it's just been an absolutely amazing experience. And one that has, I know people say something's changed your life, but this genuinely has changed my life because one of the lads that used to play for our team he now lives in London and he plays for the South London Stags. And he, um, when I said about moving out at the time, uh, when I was moving to, he said, well, I've got a house in Preston. You're going to do me a favour by renting it because I'd know somebody then that's looking after the house while I'm in London. So I now rent this house here. It's closer to Preston Grasshoppers, which was even great for the rugby. But then being able to move to have my own space, but the support mechanism from the club with my friends from the club has allowed me to not be isolated, moving to a new area, living by myself because they're all quite close to where I live. But all that has been down to going on the date with Richard, going to the club. And if I've never gone to the club, I would have never met with people. I would not be living where I live now. Being the mindset I am now with my body positivity, being able to play sport and really enjoying it. The social circle is immense, you know, being able to go and play, go, you know, play all these different teams. And I've got to meet so many different people from the wider uh, rugby community, which has been phenomenal. And just out of curiosity, because I know that there's um, issues about the main question that I seem to get on our social media, whenever I talk about gay rugby teams and things like that, that some people, gay and straight, ask the question, there shouldn't be a need for gay teams. Um, my rugby team is not an IGR team and we accept anybody. How would you react to somebody saying that why is there a need for a gay rugby team or an inclusive rugby team rather? So in, in, in my opinion, um, I always think back to what my experience was like in high school. And that's kind of stuck for me. And I think, well, is that experience going to be like that again? If I turn up, will there be a case of, will people accept me for who I am? Um, but the fact when I did my research about inclusive teams, the fact that it doesn't matter your 
height, your shape, your size, your sexuality, your identity. Whereas I think for a lot of um, straight rugby teams, you need to be of a certain athletic build, maybe a certain fitness level, um, you know, to play at that level. Whereas I never saw myself as being good enough to play at that level. Whereas joining uh, the Typhoons, it didn't matter what your ability was, as long as you had the right attitude and your, people were accepting of what your gender was, your sexuality, whatever, it didn't matter. And I think having a safe space to be yourself, no matter what your ability was, to me, really helped me flourish and has helped quite a lot of other people flourish. Whereas when I've met other, um, other teams, other straight rugby teams, and I've been to watch them, yeah, they seem to have, they seem to have a great, you know, they seem to have a great camaraderie in the pitch, but I don't know what goes on, you know, behind the scenes. Or is there any people in the closet that play? I can only speak from my experience that I think inclusive teams have an important role to provide a safe space for people to be themselves, no matter their ability, without fear of a snidey little comment or a throwaway comment on the pitch or anything like that. So that's why I think there is there is a need to still have inclusivity sports, um, even not just rugby, even inclusivity sport in the whole of the UK to provide a safe space for people to be themselves and enjoy it. Fantastic. And that is a really important message as well. And I want to kind of build up on what you were saying in terms of your experience of playing with your team. And do you play against non-IGR teams or is it just IGR teams? So predominantly, um, the club play against, well, we're in, we're in the IGR uh, North. Um, we're in the IGR family, but we're in the IGR North League. So we play league games against fellow IGR North teams. We've played a couple of friendlies against um, some non-IGR clubs. So we played a friendly against the Lancashire Police, um, which was a very interesting match. Um, they had a team that was coming together. So we said, let's have a friendly. You know, it'd be great to get the guys out on the pitch, have a run around. Great for our newer players, have a run around on the pitch as well. Um but it became very clear very quickly that the skill level the police were at was far more better than what we were at. But equally, um, the referee at the time started mixing the players up, had some of their team come play on our team, kind of even up the books a bit. But that was a fantastic experience. Excuse me. And they were very much, they were a friendly bunch of guys. We had such a laugh on the pitch. And then, although we got thrashed, we learned an awful lot from playing a higher skilled team. And Do you think it differs from playing a... I think when we played IGR against uh, the police, you could see the, the skill level um, was far superior um, than what, what our school level was. And I think maybe the in the IGR, from what I've seen, from my perspective, is, is the skill level does vary. So some of the newer teams, the skill level is of a certain level, whereas your more established older teams, the skill level is a lot more higher. So I think they play maybe more other uh, players at other teams that are non-IGR, so maybe the IGR is not as high as skilled, if that's where they're looking for, um, as some of the local leagues. I, I don't make, I've not really had much experience in, in that. And how does it feel when you go against other IGR teams, if you can think So my first time, like I alluded to before, my mum came to watch, I first played against the Liverpool Tritons, which were, uh, you know, a uh, I think, I believe at the time, they'd been going for four, maybe three years. And I, I personally was nervous as hell because it was my very first match. Um, I know some of the other players at the time, they were also nervous because for them, it was their first time playing a part of a team. Um, it was the very first time that the team had taken part in the IGR North. I think it was the second year the league had been running for, if I remember. But I was very ner nervous. But then as I got more matches under, under my belt, and as soon as you know the whistle blows and you're playing on the pitch and you get into it, 
the adrenaline, the, 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 you know, the rush of um, what's going on, you do get a real buzz out of it. And there is very much, you're playing as part of a team, you're on the pitch, you play, whether you win, lose, um, you know, at the end of the pitch, you come off, you have a pint and the afterwards, you're all having a laugh, you talk to other people that might have been, you know, knocking you two bells to the wind on the pitch, but then you're back in the clubhouse having a pint afterwards, laughing about the pitch and talking about their experiences. And it's been fantastic seeing all these different agile clubs um, that we've played against. But not only in our league, I've had the opportunity when we've, we've done development days where a few of our guys went over to um, play with Sheffield Vulcans and the Hull Roundheads to do a development day because some of the guys were going to the Union Cup and they were forming a, a team called the Northern Powerhouse because they were going to combine with a few other clubs. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't go at the time. I really wanted to, but we went over to play couple of friendlies. Now, I went and played for the Shepherd Vulcans that day. So it's the first other non first other IGR team I've ever played for. And I went to play for them. And um, oh, I know one of your previous episodes, you had uh, Michael on. So he was the captain at the time I went, to, I went to play for them. And again, such a nice group of guys. I played for them and I actually scored my very first try. Unfortunately, it wasn't for my team at the time, but I ended up scoring my very first try for any time playing rugby, but for them against Hull. And we had a fantastic day. It was great playing again. We knew another set of guys. But again, it was interesting to see how everyone there, again, listen to their stories. They've all come for the very similar reasons to be part of a team, a brotherhood, very welcoming. And they had gay, gay players, straight players, but they were all there for the same reason. The same with the whole roundheads when I got to speak to some of them, them guys. Again, they're all there for the very same reasons. Give us uh, similar experiences. And we then went to play them against them at Humber 10s. They did like a 10s competition. And we travelled all the way over to go and play up there. And again, that was fantastic. We got to play against Hull. We got to play against Newcastle. We got to play against um, Sheffield. And we had such a fantastic day. So that, again, playing again, outside of an IGR tournament, a separate tournament was, was fantastic. But more recently, um, playing at Hadrian's Cup, which was a massive tennis competition in Newcastle, the first time uh, the Typhoons had put together a team to go up to an event. And a lot of, you know, it was a bit nerve wracking. It's going to be our very first event going up as a team. And we were up, I got to meet so many people from so many different rugby clubs. And we had a fantastic time. We played against Berkshire Unicorn, we played against Brighton Sea Serpents, we played against Liverpool Tritons in our um, pitch that we played on. And we had such a fantastic day. Although we didn't win, it was great to see other teams playing. We had help, people helping our team out. We had some injuries. We got to see other teams playing. You know, I got to see loads of people that I know from previous matches playing. And that day was absolutely fantastic. And seeing loads of people come together, being part of this magical family that is the IGR, come together, play Hadrian's Corp. Um, and I believe the um, Emerald Warriors, did they win? I can't remember. Yes, Emerald Warriors won the main Hadrian's Cup and uh, Aberdeen won the second uh, tier cup and seeing a new team like them win it was fantastic, it was a great day the social chatter was amazing and it was just great thinking I would not have been able to do all this if it hadn't been for joining the Typhoons and the Typhoons allowing me to become part of this family and experience all this it's absolutely amazing and I'm thinking God, all this is... I've been stopping myself doing all this maybe for years by not exploring these opportunities and being part of it that's such a laugh. Um, it's it's great. And finally, just to kind of finish off, if you could go back in time <laughs> and just meet yourself when you were much younger, maybe high school or college. Oh God! What would you um, say to yourself? I would say I, I needed to believe in myself a lot more. 
um, because by not believing in myself or my abilities led me down a dark path, a spiral, which then led to many ups and downs of being happy, being sad, not feeling fulfilled, not being confident. I think just having faith in my abilities when I first went to to college and not maybe, I don't know, allowing the past to keep rearing its ugly head and overthinking things. But I suppose that's that shoulda, woulda, coulda phrase. I think, yeah, that would be a bit of advice. I think just maybe have just had a bit more faith in where I was at at the time. And yeah, just that would probably be it, I think. Cause... And finally, Terry, what would you say to someone who was thinking about wanting to join an IGR team such as the Typhoons? Someone who may be second-guessing about maybe joining um, a local IGR team, an inclusive team, and maybe thinking it's not for them, reach out, ask a question, go through maybe a turn-up-and-try session, get to meet these different people, but no, it doesn't matter your shape, size, sexuality, preference. It's about having the right attitude, going out there and having a laugh and being part of a a family. Um, one thing I didn't also touch on before is I'm also part of the touch team, so we do touch rugby as well. And that encompasses, doesn't matter what your um, gender is either, whether you're a man, woman, trans, whatever you, non-binary, that is a different cup of tea altogether. And that's been fantastic as well. So even if you don't want to do maybe full contact sports, there is a touch uh, element to this side as well of the uh, rugby, which is I've got to meet against many different people doing touch rugby. Um, and that's growing all the time because it, it allows people that don't want to do contact sport to still take part in the sport and still feel welcomed uh, into our family. So that is great. So if that's your cup of tea, absolutely go for it and just, you know, look at the O2 Touch app, have a look at what's going on in your local area because there's loads of different, I believe, in, uh, touch clubs out there. Um, but just give, give it a go. What have you got to lose? It, you know, you could, you could ultimately become a much more better and happier, confident person in the process. Well, Terry, that's all we've got time for on today. So I want to say a huge thank you to you and the Typhoons for giving up your time to share your inspiring story. I wish you all the best and can't wait to play against you next season. Well, that's that. Another episode of Rock My Life Done. A big thank you to my guests today and make sure you check them out on social media. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Rock My Life Podcast or CJ underscore Mank. I'm Christian John and this is Rock My Life.